you're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I am Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom Lang. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. And we've got a huge episode after coming off the back of our Angus Taylor What's the Go With special, which we got some nice feedback on, which we uh, we really appreciate. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to let them know just how nice their laugh is or how handsome <laughs> and, and good looking all of the hosts are, then um, send, us a, uh, send us a message. We'll give all the details at the end of the pod. Isaac is uh, off this week on assignment as well. So if anything goes awry with the fact checking or the links or whatever this week, it's because he's not here to rein us all in. So we're just going to be... <laughs> <laughs> spouting shit all episode. It's their election of duty. <laughs> um, and we'll be covering some stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff this week because we took a took a week off topical news last week, which was hard because it's like friggin' every day in this country. We were like, okay. We argued for like 20 minutes about whether we were going to record like two episodes this week. But frankly, who has the time and or the inclination to edit? And we were like, oh, but we really should, you know? <laughs> I mean, it only takes us an hour to talk shit. <laughs> it takes an hour to talk shit and it takes Paul McLean four and a half hours to wrangle it into anything remotely listenable. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a whole production we've got over here. Yeah, I'm always just like spending all of my Sunday afternoons just editing out oh, 25 minutes of fart jokes. Like, cut, 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 cut. 25 minutes of fart jokes, 45 minutes of libelous murder requests. <laughs> Look, I got to tell you, listener, these chumps that I'm on the pod with, they don't even know this is a political podcast. Like- <laughs> so this week it was National Sorry Day on the 26th, which is uh, a day to commemorate uh, all the horrible stuff that Australia has done to uh, our Indigenous people on purpose. And uh, every year uh, somebody in government will be like, oh, wasn't that a shame? And yeah. we sit back and I'm like, you did it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the worst, most like it. The day Insincere. should exist. Yeah, the day one hundred percent should exist, and in fact, there should be much more done on commemoration and education and all the rest of it. But when these national days roll around, it's the worst time for our politicians to just sort of come out of the woodworks like doe eyed, hand wringing, like, "Oh, it is really bad." Like, Have you done anything all year to fix it? Yeah. Not yet. Have you been yeah. actively making it worse? Yeah. They get their social yeah. media interns to make really pretty posts about Ugh. it and, like, you know, um, take, like, Zoom calls in front of Aboriginal art to just show how cultured they are. It's just yeah. really on the yeah. nose. I reckon yeah. I reckon one of the things they should have to do on Sorry Day is update the Sorry with all the horrible new shit they've done that year. They like, should. Like, so they- sorry for all of the, you know, stolen generation, colonisation, genocide, all of that, but also specifically this year, sorry for all the shitty things like the cashless Centrelink card that we make you use. Sorry about, you know, the new, like, deaths in police custody. So I um, think, like, just as, a, just as a quick sort of overview on that, there are, spe- like, our country's government, uh, and this is not even speaking culturally, but politically, our country is just, like, consistently fucked. And it has consistently fucked over Indigenous people in Australia over and over. But also, every time they do something just generally fucked, it also affects Indigenous, our Indigenous population, like, exponentially worse. 
that's part of the issue. So the cashless welfare card wasn't something like specifically for Indigenous people. It just, of course, it like ruined their communities even more because those are the places that are already in need of government assistance and they're not getting this assistance properly. They get like, you know, below minimum wage from Centrelink. And then we go, oh, you should also have a card so you have to shop at Woolies. Yeah. Um, I would like to mention that the John Howard and Kevin Rudd thing really briefly. What's the John Howard and Kevin Rudd thing? Okay, well, Sorry Day first uh, was a thing in, I think it was 1998, in response to, like, a report about Indigenous deaths in custody. Um, and that was John Howard era. So they, uh, the first Sorry Day, 1998, but John Howard actually refused to issue an apology um, on Sorry Day, which uh, I don't understand what else you would be doing. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, 2008 that Kevin Rudd quite famously did actually say sorry on sorry day um and it, it just goes to show how friggin ass backwards this country is that you can't even say oh i guess our bad it's not yeah, ass that- backwards though they don't want to be seen as liable it's like mm. okay i've got my lawyer hat on here but they don't want to be seen as criminally or negligently like responsible for causing any of that even in a historical sense mm. Yeah, there was a the Howard was always running the lines of we we just we we can't say sorry for something that happened so long in the past because then it'll open up all these different like legal claims. So it's not that I'm immoral, I'm a horrible, soulless person. It's the le- it's the laws of the thing. It's like, no, it fucking yeah. wasn't. Yeah, basically they looked at Marbo and they're like, Well, we don't want that to happen again. Yeah. yeah. It's not that I don't want to apologize, it's that I don't want the country to face consequences for the things that it did. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just I just don't want Indigenous people to have any legal recourse. It's the most yeah. soulless, soulless way of looking at things of like, I can't apologise because that might actually make me have to be responsible for my actions. Yeah, it was just, I, I, I only want this apology to be in every single way meaningless. And if I can't yeah. do that, I'm not doing it. Yep. It's a national sorry day, but it's like a national, oh, I'm sorry for your lost day. Sort of <laughs> like, prayers. Sorry if anything bad has happened. Yeah, sorry if you were offended by your children being taken away and re-educated into Western culture. Yeah, which is the the issue with our fucking political system is that we continue to do the least amount possible for our Indigenous population. Um, So there was the Royal Commission into the Stolen Generation, which resulted in the National Sorry Day, which resulted in nothing for 10 years. We've also, and then it was just an apology with nothing substantial. We also had the Royal Commission into Indigenous Deaths in Custody, which was uh, finally like, released in 1991. And since then, uh, reporting's come out just this year. There have been over 400 deaths of Indigenous Australians in police custody with zero convictions. That's mm. fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Un fucking believable that there is absolutely in all of them every single one more than 400 instances there was never someone criminally culpable for a fucking death in mm. custody and these I- were these were blatant deaths too these were people just like basically all but disappeared or just like oh no i guess uh we left him in a cell for three days and oh geez it's oh well like- I've seen Guardian reporters who talked about it, um, especially when they, uh, like the Guardian has been doing a really good job about um, in terms of keeping track of deaths in custody and doing a lot of reporting on it uh, over the last couple of years. Um, And I've seen these same journalists just say, like, it's mind-numbing to think about even just in terms of actually researching it. 
And that seems to just be the national sort of attitude to it, that it's so horrible that you just can't look at it because it's such yeah, a huge so number. The, the, there'll be a death in custody and the entire explanation that anybody will get will just be like a, a, a cartoon cop face with a speech bubble coming out saying, oh, whoops. And they're mm. like, well, that closes that case. Yeah. Like, yeah. There was <laughs> that, 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 as far as things get investigated, it's fucking national whoops day more like it. There was that <laughs> guy last year. There was that guy last year, I think, that got charged for a particularly egregious case, but he hasn't been convicted yet. That still hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm this is uh, the the uh, kid who got murdered in the Northern Territory, mm. uh, allegedly murdered. Mm. Um, where the, the, <laughs> the cop has been charged with murder, but is just sort of hanging around now. I guess waiting for who knows when that yeah. trial is going to go ahead. And yeah. when it comes that's to the, that's to the closest and, to justice anyone's seen. When it comes to deaths in custody, uh, as everyone knows, when it comes to people who aren't white, um, a huge factor in getting anyone even charged or anywhere close to convicted in the first place is that it has to be recorded. Otherwise. There's no way mm. any of these people will see justice. And in recent cases, some of them have. I think Miss Do, her like her not her actual death, but like the factors leading up to her death were caught on CCTV. Um, and that has been like the only sort of mm. way to get any sort of investigation, any sort of attention paid to it. Yeah. When there's just yeah. no deniability. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose it's worth calling out at this point that uh, as we record this, the United States is sort of exploding um, after a, a history of, of uh, police violence against mm. uh, black people. Um, yep, that's just also going on. Solidarity with the protesters there and all the black people yeah. who just are continually suffering under a regime of police violence. Um, and honestly... It's, it's happening in Australia as well. Um, just, it, it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and America, you know, if you've been paying even the slightest attention for the last 400 years, this has been coming. Um, but th I think Australia is different because most of this horrible racist shit is happening in the Northern Territory and in the sort of the more remote areas of, you know, Queensland and WA. In the middle of Melbourne, Australia's history with our Indigenous people has been so horrific that there's almost no Indigenous people around. Like, the, the proportion in the population is very, very small compared to an, in America where you've got a much higher proportion in the population of African Americans. Um, and so this is happening in major cities everywhere. Yeah, it's not just the population that's fractured also, but when you think about just press coverage, ability to even record your own sort of um, things that are happening in your own communities, mm. all of this is gone. Like, even just, like... You know, regional newspapers are being closed mm. now. Like that's even removing even oh, more yeah. of a way for this news to kind of spread and be told to other people and yeah, for that I've to be in such a remote area. I've spent some time in Indigenous communities up in the Northern Territory and it is absolutely a different world. Like the fact that that's happening on the same continent as Melbourne is just shocking. And I think most Australians just have no concept that that is a thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Also this week, uh, Rio Tinto uh, blew up the Duke and Gorge Cave, which uh. is a 46,000-year-old Aboriginal cultural site. Uh, they wanted to build an iron ore mine there, and so they just blew it up. Hmm. It's fucked. Um, and this is actually a pretty crazy thing. Uh, I was I was looking into this before because th this has been on the books for a little while. It, it takes a while to, you know, 
blow up a large area of land there's a certain amount of paperwork um and they i think first got permission to do this in about 2013 um and archaeologists went in because they already knew that this was a culturally significant site but they go oh if we can't blow up culturally significant sites what are we bloody gonna do we're rio tinto so archaeologists went in to see if they could like uh, salvage any cultural artifacts before they got exploded um, and they found that it was so much more significant than they had even realised. Um, it was absolutely chock full of really important cultural stuff um, which of course the local indigenous people had been telling them for bloody years um, and they found that it had been like they discovered like 4,000 year old uh, artifacts made out of like human hair, like braids and things that they could trace the DNA of to the local people of that area um, and make like all of these really significant cultural, genetic, historical everything. But even though they discovered it was so much more significant than they already realized, they were not allowed to renegotiate the contract because it was based on some friggin' ancient aboriginal heritage act that was worked out by the mining companies in the 70s that said even if you go in and discover that it's way more important than we thought you're not allowed to renegotiate based on that new information we're that's still going to blow it up yeah that's so insane like we we have we've got these areas that we want to mine we're going to put forward an application oh hang on yeah. we just found an old civilization still living there that are four hundred thousand years old and we really need it no nope, can't negotiate can't yeah, redo it. Blow it up. It's a it okay. It's a it's a load bearing part of Australia. We will literally sink into the ocean if you're like, no. Nope, can't <laughs> renegotiate. What the fuck are you talking about? That's insanity. I I, I just really like how you uh, described the Aboriginal Heritage Act as ancient, despite being from the seventies. The cave itself is forty six thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's always wild to me how old the Aboriginal culture is. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. it, 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 it's it's mind boggling considering like Jesus Christ was, you know, <laughs> 2,000 years old. Mm. Uh, th- this is like, what's that? 23 Jesus Christs ago. <laughs> that's that's this cave. Like, the, the, yeah. this, well, this culture think- dates back so long, but we just show up 200 years ago. And we're just like, nah, it's ours now. Fuck off. And they're like, oh, can we do... Nah, you're dead, 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 hmm. dead, subjugated. Done. Yeah, can yep. we at least can we at least have some areas left over to keep the like lineage going? No, we need iron ore. Yeah, like, you know yeah, that we'll say that they're yours, but we will blow them up for a mine if that comes up later. <laughs> yeah, Ken Wyatt, who was the Indigenous Affairs Minister, he knew about this, by the way, before the actual um, oh, just yeah. explosion happened. Um, he had talks with Rio Tinto, and they still went ahead with it anyway. Mm. Which is great. Which is just a good show. They're like, you know, you can sell out your own communities. And he did. He sold mm. out the entire Indigenous community in letting this happen. Mm. Everywhere in Australia, outside, like, the core agricultural zones, is just owned by mining companies, effectively. Uh, they can just do basically whatever the hell they want. I think that's something that city people don't really understand either. <laughs> mm. they, they don't understand, like, the reach of um, mining in uh, regional communities and in terms of how much people depend on them for work as well, which is uh, like makes the whole um, Green New Deal scheme of like, you know, retraining these people for green jobs uh, ev- all the more like important 
you know that, mm. that that there is a plan in place that and there it, there is a possibility of retraining these people because the whole thing that pe- um, people who support mining and the continuation of the current structure is just always jobs and growth jobs and growth if i can quickly talk about really old shit um because yeah you mentioned aboriginals in australia have a history that's like a hundred thousand years old or so um if you think about the oldest things you can think of, like the pyramids, 4,000 years old. That's nothing. The ancient Aztecs, like a couple thousand years old. Indigenous people in New Zealand, like less than a thousand years old. Australian, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's New Zealand is the most recently settled by humans country in the world that I'm aware of. Like Polynesian people only arrived there like 700 years ago. Um, Islam is like six or 700 years old. Um so, a hundred thousand years of pretty consistent, like, cultural artifacts and history is absolutely not matched by pretty much anywhere else in the world. And we're just like, fuck it. Got to get that low-grade iron ore. It's not even good. Oh, look, it's probably pretty good, <laughs> but it's fucking iron ore. It's not rare. Like, Mars is full of it. Yeah, so if it's... Let's go mine Mars. <laughs> Literally everywhere in Australia is full of it. But yeah, anyway. So then why here? Because it's probably... I don't know. There's a nice big chunk of it there. I'm sure that... Yeah, they had a, a contract real... for it. They were yeah. allowed and they didn't give a shit. Do like... you think it's also like a specific signal of fuck you, we can do it? Nah, I just don't think they give a shit. Like Australia has some really good chunks of iron ore, don't get me wrong. Um, and it's probably slightly cheaper doing it there than in a different kind of rock. Maybe it's 10 metres closer to the surface. I don't know how ore mining works, but- I think there's just a- uh, They've done their cost benefit. I think there's just a thing of like when we hear this culture's been here for, you know, 100,000 years, we're like, holy shit, that's, that's a long time. Hmm. But there are some people who are like, so- you know, the the iron ore's been there for a hundred thousand years. We we want it. Yeah. Like what 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 are you telling me how old the culture is for? Like that's an interesting piece <laughs> of trivia, but I want the iron. Hmm. The fact that it's this really nice gorge probably just makes the iron ore easier to get to. Yeah. I don't know really how to reconcile that. That's just like, oh you're you're a worse person than I am, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Money makes people evil. It just does. Yeah. ScoMo just pretty horrifically co-opted some indigenous Australian culture to push his own agenda, uh, where he said, uh, the principle of caring for country. A principle that indigenous Australians have practiced for tens of thousands of years. It means responsible management and stewardship of what has been left to us to sustainably manage that inheritance for current and future generations. We must not borrow from generations in the future from what we cannot return to them. This is as true for our environmental, cultural and natural resources as it is for our economic and financial ones. Fuck off! Government must live within their means so we don't impose impossible debt burdens on future generations. That violates that important caring the country principle. Wow. Just he just, just has no concept worst. of anything being as important as money. Yeah. He sees that entirely as a money thing. He's like, you well, we've got to blow up this country so we can have that money so our kids don't have some even, fake debt. Even then, I reckon he has no conception of anything outside of the message towards money. 
Like it does. He does. I don't think he even really cares about the actual financial like costs and benefits to things. I think he just likes having catchphrases and likes having scheme. Like he likes having ideas on the go. He likes like you know what? I've managed to put together this thing that's usually used by Indigenous Australians, and I've linked it in with financial stuff, and that's just that's yeah. good in itself. So he will just go and do it. That's his marketing brain misfiring. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's just got his marketing brain on with that two things on the whiteboard and the line between them. He's like, nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all it is. That's all it is. But the but he has no conception of how fucking audacious and shit-headed it is of him to do that, Like especially under his fucking stewardship, especially how his government has entirely fucked Indigenous people specifically and then Indigenous people by way of fucking the underclass in Australia. And then he just goes, yeah. oh, but also I've learnt a lot from Indigenous Australians, like the principle of caring for country. Fuck off. And you saying said this, that they're the, doing the, anything the, for future generations. Exactly. Yeah. Scott Morrison talking about learning yeah. things from uh, Indigenous Australians is exactly the same as him talking about his stupid Sri Lankan curry with Annabelle Crab. It's just like <laughs> it, it's, it means nothing and because he's a deeply weird person who has no idea how to communicate, um, it already comes off as strange when he says that. And then when you think mm. deeper about it, it's just cruel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Controversial position of the pod, but Scott Morrison's a fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> about half a million Australians who were the victims of an illegal telemarketing and letter drop scam are getting their money back. Um, in some Woo-hoo. unknown time frame. The, you probably heard of it. The criminal scam is known as robo-debt, and it was perpetuated mm. by the Liberal Party. Pretty fucking good. Mm. Yeah. That our, our government conducted what they knew to be, at best, an inefficient and, at worst, an illegal scheme to recover debts from people who used, who used welfare sometimes up to a decade ago to try to extract money from them in an, with an illegal method, and they tried to do it through fear. That's, I think, the worst bit for me is that while this whole thing was, has been going on for the last few years, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was all this shit about like, if you don't pay back the robo debt, you might not be able to go overseas. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Might, not be yeah. Able to, you might not be able to finish your education. And they just, they just strong-armed people into paying debts back that they, one, didn't have, but two, were sometimes like no more than four or $500, which some people couldn't afford. I just want to put this like in the frame of someone who's like, who's been like, you know, not had enough money. Or who can't make rent. Like, if you've ever been in that position, you know how much the fear of a bill strikes in your heart when you mm. see it in the mail. Yeah. Mm. And so, it is like, it's a very well-known, well known, commonly shared fear. Like, you know, you just want to ignore your mail, you want to just keep it away and not think about it. And this is just playing on that fear because there's nothing that strikes fear into the heart of someone more than a debt collector. <laughs> and yeah. for and the it- government to have that, power and to inflict it so illegally is just psychotic to me like just yeah. just thinking about it just how much money and fear and pain it's caused people and deaths as well yeah i just want to hit the mechanics of it really quickly yeah because um, we haven't really touched on that so basically robo debt was this situation where centrelink who's our welfare handing outing body uh just called up people who'd received uh welfare from centrelink you know, somewhere between recently and fucking ages ago, being like, hey, remember when you were on the dole back in, you know, 2008? We accidentally paid you too much and you have to pay it back. 
the mechanics of how they uh, supposedly calculated who'd paid too much uh, are kind of irrelevant because we know that they knew that it was an incorrect calculation, but it didn't stop them trying to get money out of those people that those people did not owe them. Mm. And they just kept it up for years, uh, even after it was particularly clear that it was just like there was no legislation that supported them recovering that debt. There was uh, pretty strong evidence that that debt never honestly existed at all. Yeah. And uh, then people started also dying because uh, a lot of the people that they're targeting are people who were still on the dole, who didn't have a way to pay those debts back, who were now put into even more financial distress from the body that was meant to be getting them out. And so, yeah, there are multiple suicides that were linked to directly to robo-debt. Like, they got the bill and then committed suicide a, a couple of weeks later or, you know, soon afterwards. There were, I think... The total body count was around 2,000 of people who died God. with an active robo-debt over their head. Mm. It's, it's Horrifying. monstrous stuff. Absolutely monstrous. Mm. And they were, it was constantly being contested. Like, it was, it was not uh, a secret that these debts were dodgy and illegal and a lot of them were just founded on absolutely nothing at all. But they made it because it was a, a computer kind of operated scheme. They had this algorithm just spitting out these debt notices effectively. It, mm. They made it incredibly hard to contest, even harder than normal Centrelink stuff is to contest because they went, basically, the computer said so. What are you going to do about it? Mm. Um, and if you're someone who's relying on Centrelink for your basically being able to stay alive, you already don't have the resources probably to be chasing up legal and financial things, let alone the amount of time to spend trying to fight what may be a couple of hundred dollars, what may be much more than that. Um, yeah. So it was just absolutely cruel on so many levels. The debt claims were going back up to 10 years in some cases, and even the Australian tax office says it's fine to throw out your financial records after seven years. Mm. So... It, it, it's it's beyond the point that even the Australian government says it's reasonable to keep records and they'd be like, hey, you owe us a bunch of money. And you're like, no, I don't. And they're like, well, you got records for that? It's like, uh, fucking of course I don't. And then they're like, well, bloody pay us then. A friend of yeah. mine who got a robo-debt, um, she got it. Hers was going back like seven, eight years. And like that job doesn't even exist anymore. Like mm. she had no one to even go back to get like pay slips for. And Centrelink were just like, well, doesn't matter. You got to pay it. It's your word yeah. against theirs, basically. Yeah. So I think they, they don't have the details because they know that it's wrong. Yeah. This fact that, it, that the debts were generated by an algorithm is also just the worst fucking shield <sighs> in the world. Like, it makes no sense to me. It's like, yeah, well, put a human reviewer in, in place. Mm. Like, well, yeah. you can't just be like, oh, yeah, we just uh, set up the computer and it said you had a debt, so you owe a debt. Well, that's the like, thing, is that the this is scheme... Is right? Who knows? Well, that, that algorithm did exist initially, and the, the cost-saving measure of the scheme was supposed to be taking that person out would save mm -hmm. them money. It's a, bit, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but essentially there was oversight on those types of things, and people going, oh, wait, no, the algorithm is wrong again. And then they just sort of went, but what if we didn't double-check? Mm -hmm. And then we just we just spat out these debts first off, and then we'll let the market decide or, or whatever the fuck. Um, yeah, because fuck them, they're poor. Exactly, yeah. I think I, I really want to shout out the people that did a lot of good work on this um jeremy poxon yeah. and the australian unemployed workers union um forever were working on this there was initiatives on twitter like not my debt which was rallying people together for mm. literally years trying to get everyone connected because that's the other thing that's terrifying about this is that you get a bill from centrelink 
And you, you're not entirely sure if it's legit, if there's other people going on. And so there was a lot of campaigners and activists going, no, no, this is happening to a lot of people. If mm. you think this is wrong, you are correct to think that. Let's all band together. Um, Asher Wolf as well did a lot of um, stuff on that. Um, there was a small stories that started to build and build and build and build until the hero we needed, Bill Shorten, decided to... <laughs> he decided to make this his um, political sort of like... Um, his, his hobby horse, after he lost an election. He didn't talk mm. about it during the election at all. He didn't no. make any notion of the fact that he was going to help poor people before he was assured he was going to get elected. But after he totally fucked up a, a totally winnable election, he then did the oh, bare minimum of work. Afterwards, he co-opted the movement and went, oh, let's get a class action lawsuit together. And then yeah. this, is, this, is, this is why we're talking about this today, is that uh, instead of facing a class action lawsuit, um, the uh, services minister, Stuart Robert, decided to settle, essentially. Well, that's not and- entirely true. He's decided to refund them. The class action is still absolutely going ahead. Oh, but is the it refund sick? is done. Yeah, you fucking bet. Because 2,000 people died, Mitch. Um, mm. the, 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 the thought behind the refund, theoretically, is that during the court process, they'll be like, oh, but, you know, oh, when we found out, though, we refunded everyone. It was, we weren't mm-hmm. bad about it. We we did the refund. Oh, this is, the, okay. this, is, this is the whole reason why they're going on about how everything's in good faith, which is the yeah. LNP's new talking point at the moment, which is yeah. like, look, 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 we <laughs> want to make sure this is as open as possible. To, so to show you that when we're, we're going to be letting investigators look at us properly, in good faith, we'll be paying back the money we illegally took from people that caused suicides. In good when- faith. We're not yeah. evil. We're just stupid. <laughs> this, is, this is after when the when the class action lawsuit was going ahead. They they mass emailed out a thing being like, "Hey, so you might have heard about the class action lawsuit. If you want to opt out, here's a link to instructions of how to do that." Just just in, just in case you know, like you're obviously you've been hit by the robo debt, but if you didn't want to be part of the class action lawsuit, we're okay with that. Here's how to opt out if you My need God. to. Just just click the link and opt out so that you don't have to be part of it. You don't want to have to be part of this big silly lawsuit, do you? Click the button, opt out. Come on. <laughs> um, and I really want to I really want to emphasize the fact that uh, so they're refunding seven hundred million dollars. That was how much money they stole from people. Seven hundred million. It costs yep. them at least five hundred or more million dollars to get that money. So they made, at best, if this was all legit and if this was all functioning and if they didn't have to fucking pay it back, $200 million at the expense. Right, but instead they've made so a $1.2 billion loss. <laughs> right? Like, oh my God. They, they put so much resources and they threw so many people under the bus to claw what is in the government scheme of things, an incredibly small amount of money from the people in Australia who are least able to afford that money. So they did as much damage as possible, basically. Um, and, and you put this in context, the government will spend billions on a whim for nothing. So $700 million is just an absolute pittance. Um, I so also want to just... you mentioned Stuart Robert before. I did. I was just about to say, look, I want to I want to take aim at Stuart Robert here. I reckon he is in line for a what's the go with episode um coming up a little while. But just just to you know, not point not put too fine a point on it. Stuart Robert is the government services minister in our federal government at the moment, and he should unequivocally and instantly resign or be fired for this. Preferably this isn't this isn't something that's just sort of like oh you know my friend was involved in this company and and my friend made this money but I had nothing to do with it 
it was, it's now been shown that they all knew it was illegal. They all knew what the fuck they were doing and he was running it. He was in charge of this shit. Stuart Robert is a fucking well-known asshole. If you think you might know that name, it's because he was the guy that cost taxpayers almost $63,000 in internet bills. It's only recently come out from Freedom of Information uh, requests from The Guardian that the reason why his bill was so fucking high was because he kept using, like, his, like, his internet his plan was set internet. up. His phone, his internet plan was set up in such a way that he only had a small amount on his plan and he kept going over it and buying it in, uh, like, $10 one gigabyte chunks over and so- over and over to the tune of nearly $63,000. It's Can so you- fucking crazy. He's on a one gigabyte mobile data plan. One month he managed to download 387 gigabytes. Right? <laughs> I'm, like- I, I'm, I'm a work from home tech user. I, I love Netflix. I play video games constantly. Like, I... I don't know. How, I don't even know how you'd hit 387 gigabytes in a month. Like, what? What is he doing? What is he doing? He's, I need he's to a, know what he's doing. I need those downloads. You can say, sure, you've downloaded 300 gigabytes for some official government reason, whatever. The government needs to look at these high definition movies. But you can get a 300 gigabyte internet plan for like 100 <laughs> Actually, bucks well, a month. Yeah, but one of his excuses, Lang, was that the area he was in didn't have really good NBN coverage. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great because he was was part of the government that fucking destroyed it. Yeah, but for (laughs) $63,000, you can just (laughs) charter a flight to a place with good NBN and back. (laughs) Just buy a house. Buy a house somewhere with good NBN. Um, Yeah, uh, he also made his elderly father a dummy director of a corporation, which, Uh look, I won't get into now, but it's just disgusting. He essentially, his father didn't know that his son signed him up to take on the legal culpability of a corporation. Like, he's just that type of fucking asshole. So he's running out Robert is a delightful leisure Google just to be just like, holy shit, Mm. holy shit, oh my God. Just, you can just keep scrolling. It's just the, 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 the shit that he's been in goes on for a while and all of it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He also looks real weird. Just <laughs> like that one's not his fault, but fuck him. Yeah, just just on the the the, the tail end of this Robo Debt uh, news is uh, Scott Morrison has recently uh, suggested that maybe people got overpaid with JobKeeper and they could use tax office data to figure out who got overpaid mm. and get them to pay that money back. If that sounds familiar, mm. that's exactly what Robo Debt was, <laughs> and they're just gonna do it again. The government just cannot fucking stand people even potentially getting a little bit of extra money than the government specifically wanted them to get. Unless, of course, it's it's someone in the government spending $60,000 on the internet. Yeah, they see, they see a, a person on the dole getting 10 cents extra and their immediate response is, why didn't I get that 10 cents? Burn it to the ground. <laughs> Kill him. So I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on the 60 billion dollar budget black hole because mm. it's it's ancient history. <laughs> uh yeah, basically last week while we were busy reporting on Angus Taylor, um the the government discovered that uh, way 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 fewer people had claimed jobkeeper than they had budgeted for it and so they were just like, "Uh-huh, we we thought we were going to spend uh however much money on it mm. uh, but it turns out that we spent 60 billion dollars less than that mm-hmm. uh, due to apparently they're, they're throwing uh, aspersions around like people filling out paperwork incorrectly but the fact is they before they had started any of the plan they were like we're gonna spend how much was it 160 billion uh, 130 billion 
Yeah. So 130 almost- billion. We're going to spend 130 billion on JobKeeper. And then later they're like, oh, we only spent 70 billion. Mm. Yeah, it's, about, uh, it's, it's, it's half. So they basically underpaid uh, Australians by about sixty billion in welfare, um, and they're like, "Oh, sixty billion—it's it's pocket change. It's nothing." Now, if it was if it was seven hundred million that some poor people owed us, we'd probably have to kill them. But sixty billion, ah. Well, let's see. It's not underpaid. I think that's why they're trying so desperately to to call this out is because it's like, oh, isn't it good? We've, we've finally, we've mm. got this extra money that we don't have mm-hmm. to spend. We put aside this amount and it turns out only, we only have to spend half as mm. much so we can, we can spend it on other things, which was interesting because um, earlier, a couple of weeks before, um, Deputy Treasurer Michael Suka, um, when he was asked by um, uh, federal government, would consider expanding JobKeeper. He confidently said that, look, if we only had to spend half as much money as we put aside, then maybe we would talk about expanding job. But we look, <laughs> look, if this exact scenario that's going to happen in one week time happens, then we might talk about making sure poor people don't get constantly shat on. But I just can't see it happening. Womp womp. And they will use the excuse constantly of not having enough money. Oh, we've got to draw the line somewhere, guys. We do not have enough money to help every Australian be able to live we above the We just had to pay back $700 million. We can't yeah. afford an extra $60 billion that we, we already we budgeted for. We can't help uh, casual workers. We can't help teachers. We can't help all of these arts sector employees to be able to survive a global pandemic, we just don't have the cash. Oh, 60 billion. Oh, sweet. Well, that's a windfall. Oh, we'll, we'll find something to spend that on. But right now, everything's covered. <laughs> that's that's yes. really how it how, how it boiled down is they're like, we're going to spend $130 billion on JobKeeper. And then a few weeks later, we're like, how much did you spend? And they were like, $70 billion. And you're like, not $130? they are like, oh, yes. And people filled out the paperwork wrong. Anyway, uh, we're done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just tried to lie their faces off badly. Um, so this is, I think it is worth just hitting very quickly. This whole talk about that extra spare $60 billion that they found comes at around the same time that the New South Wales government has enacted a 12-month pay freeze for about 400,000 doctors and nurses. Mm. Um, and, just public uh, sector. Public sector. So yeah. doctors, nurses, teachers, teachers. Basically the people who were all, ah, oh, heroes of the pandemic, you are keeping this country afloat. Thank you so much. We're freezing your pay, obviously. Yeah, you're such, we're you're so gonna, heroic. We're raise that. Oh, you're not even getting paid properly. Mm. God damn, you are so in, good. In fact, we're not going to even continue to raise your pay in line with inflation as we were planning to do. <laughs> we're going to freeze it, thereby paying you less than we otherwise would have. No, Unless, not the chief of police, though. Yep. We just upped his pay by 90k. <laughs> but that was that was the last thing we did, and then we froze it, so it's, oh, uh, it's I fine. I mean, in the in the New South Wales chief of police's defence, that 90k probably goes towards all the stress that he was feeling after mm. all the police started strip-searching all the children, and then mm. people were like, why are your police strip-searching children? And he's like, don't ask me questions. Ooh, and the government just gives him $90,000 a year more because... Oh, but. You know, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good defense, man. Oh, you got to step up. Are people are people bullying you about how your cops did everything illegal to kids? Yes. Do, do you want ninety k? Would that make you feel better? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Only if nobody else gets it. I- <laughs> <laughs> it's important also to remember that um, that public sector teachers and doctors don't have hard drives full of dirt on New South Wales government. <laughs> <laughs> Probably got uh, nothing to do with it, but we should keep it in mind. Yeah, they don't have yeah. binders on who the fucking all the coke dealers that go into New South Wales Parliament are. That's fucking. <laughs> it really is wild to me how the like the the Liberal government is just like we're gonna create jobs, 
we love creating jobs. Jobs are the backbone of the Australian economy, but we fucking hate paying people with jobs. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. This is something that I wanted to hit pretty quickly. Um, again, though, and it's kind of Victorian centric, but I think it's pretty good to you know let other people around the country know that it is possible. I don't know, join a union, call your local members, whatever. But um, Victorian Premier Dan Andrews ha- has said in a press conference, and we're going to get the details of this through the week coming up. But he's essentially saying, if your boss is making you go into the office when you could be working from home, snitch on them. There's fines involved, which is which good. Is great. Which is like, yeah, on the surface, it sounds good. And if you're wondering, mm, I'm not sure, maybe that will be a little bit shifty. Maybe that's not the best thing to have. Um, the Victorian Liberal Party and an economist hate the idea. So, you know, it's a really good idea. <laughs> Look, some economists are okay. but some yeah. are, Maybe. But the Liberal Party hates it. So, yeah. No, you know, it's good. The thought is Victoria is one of the uh, worst performing states in Australia at the moment in terms of new coronavirus cases. Uh, mm-hmm. That is, we, we have the most new coronavirus cases. And so yeah. I think it makes sense that Daniel Andrews is reluctant to, uh, you know, switch all of the mm. economy engines back on. Mm. And if everybody's going back into work, even though the numbers have dropped, it's not so much that things are spreading in the office, but uh, things are, you know, uh, people using public transport are at very high risk of infection because there's so much contact there. And then if people start avoiding public transport, uh, that's just going to throw every highway into absolute gridlock and, you know, the usual commute into the city is going to take three and a half hours. So it, it's a pretty good move to say, keep working from home, even as the risk of infection goes down. Uh, but I also do want to point out that I hate Daniel Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to like, just on a he's personal- an environmental vandal. He does some good stuff for working people. His response to the coronavirus has been not bad, but- um- he keeps burning down and chopping down those forests and approving the gas and coal mines and he's a motherfucker. The end. On a personal note, like just when it comes to working from home, I don't really get the insistence on wanting to go back unless there's like some mitigating factors like you have children or you, you know, there's a need to be in the office. I, I don't really understand the insistence on having I'm wanting to go back and be in a workplace for like five days a week, but that's like a personal. Yeah, sort of I don't. Get yeah, well. I think that's just a personal thing. Yeah, I, I like working from home, but I also I miss working in the office as well. I know that my boss listens to this podcast, and he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, we'll get him back. He'll get me in eventually when it's safe. When it's safe." <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm happy to keep working from home. I don't, I'm fucking into it. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think this is. I can't help but feel like the Liberal Party are nervous about this sort of stuff because it at least signals that working conditions can change. Keeping mm. things in the status quo work in their favour, and just showing workers that like things can be different, whether that's good or bad or whatnot. It's like these things aren't set in stone. We can totally make things better or worse for you. And I, I can't help but think that conservatives are a bit like, um, no, everything's a force of nature. And it has to be this way. We can't possibly change things. <laughs> you just look at sort of anything that's been around for a while and the conservatives are just totally happy with it. Like the weekend. They're just like, oh, of course there's a five-day working week for white-collar workers only. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the natural way of things. It's like that's that's I don't think that was a very good point. They would get rid of the weekend in a second if they could. I mean, cut that whole bit. (laughs) 
just a super quick shout out as well. Uh, solidarity to one of my unions, the rank and file of the NTEU. We have mentioned them a couple times on the um, on the pod. Essentially, the universities were trying to push through both reduced hours and reduced wages. And the NTEU, which is the union that look after workers at university, were all like, oh, okay, it sounds pretty good. And the rank and file went absolutely fucking not. And we organized over the last few weeks. We got really fucking vocal about it. And we won, essentially. It was thrown out. The, hey. the university was like, oh, okay, our members want us to do something like this. And the universities went, well, it's too hard then. And so the very, very bad thing was thrown out. And now our union is forced to do what a union's supposed to do, which is fight <laughs> for us, which is great. I really love that your union unionized. That's so, <laughs> so sweet. It's like... <laughs> Ganged it up and have... told the union leaders what's what. Uh, no, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't have had to... It shouldn't have gotten to that point. But at yeah. the very least, it shows that the membership of the NTEU are very fucking active, which gives me hope. There's definitely been a lot more. Like, I've got friends who are in the NTEU and they have definitely seen an uptick in people interested in attending the events now too. Like, obviously, uh, desperate times call for people actually getting involved in union work, um, especially when it comes to their own pay. But I think when something like this happens, it does sort of remind people for what their union is for and to keep that work up. Yeah, there's a really strong thing where when you see workers win, it inspires you to fight. Mm. Yeah, 100%. That That's like any any union victory is, is really bolstering for other unions. You, you look at like when a protest succeeds, you're just like, let's go to another protest, for like even mm. for a different cause. Like this stuff spreads really easy. Like it's a real, real good morale boost. And Turns so, out, yeah. yeah, people power is a thing that actually works. And a lot of the time we get told, ah, oh, look, that's not the way to make change, guys. We've got to just slow and steady. No, turns out you get a lot of people in the same place who want a thing and aren't afraid to speak up about it. And that is what makes things change. It's what's always made things change. Yeah, it's 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 genuinely invigorating. The uh, it's it's worth pointing out that because the pay freeze for the um, all the public servants in the New South Wales has been defended because a lot of people who have lost jobs because of the uh, pandemic, uh, you know, their their pay has taken a hit, uh, and so the New South Wales uh, pay freeze has been defended by saying like, oh well, you know, it's but we're freezing their pay sort of as a solidarity gesture to the other people whose pay got fucked by the pandemic, which is just like the most horrible uh, perversion of solidarity that I've yeah. ever heard. Just We're hurting disgusting. someone else out of solidarity. Like, yeah. they're not hurting themselves. They're just, they're just fucking up some teachers. Yeah, we all have to yeah. see that. If, if you're jealous of another worker getting a pay rise, the solution is you should also get a pay rise, not they shouldn't get a pay rise. Get mad at a boss giving themselves a pay rise, for sure. But anybody else getting a pay rise, that's great. You love to see it. Depend. Any yeah. other worker getting a pay rise. <laughs> Except the New South Wales Chief, Chief of Police. He's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a work. He's not working class. Fuck that. He's got a boss, though, McLean. Solidarity with the New South Wales Chief. Dirty <laughs> <laughs> solidarity. We're all stuck inside thinking about coronavirus and riots and socialism. Climate change has not gone away. It's never <laughs> going away. We're fighting it till we die from climate change. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> there was a Royal Commission, uh, which is there's there's lots of good information coming out of climate change. A lot of lot of great organizations uh, looking into this and and also the government. Um, the bushfires recently killed over 400 people put thousands in hospitals, as well as destroying, obviously, uh, a lot of land and habitat and billions of dollars worth of 
the economy, if that's a, a real thing. Um, but it's also had a whole lot of costs that we're not aware of. Um, and these are the kind of costs like mental health and, you know, living in a city with lots of smoke in it while you're one year old um, that you don't see immediately. You may not ever actively uh, be aware of, but it's the kind of thing like all of our parents growing up with leaded petrol in the air. It has that small, insidious, but actually huge effect um, on on the entire country. So it's important to realize these bushfires weren't just a one and done thing. You have a big issue like that and the, the repercussions stay with you for a long time. So don't let anybody tell you, ah, oh, that was a thing of the past. This kind of shit needs to be constantly uh, kept aware of and, yeah. and prevented. One of the things I'm genuinely worried about in like a long-term thing, like it'd be good if this happens short-term, is that if the next fire season coming up isn't nearly as bad, mm. because be. that's, the, that's the thing is that like, like people will be much more inclined to think like, oh, that horror season from mm. 2019 to 20, oh, that was, that was pretty bad. But oh, guess we're back onto business as usual. And like, it, it'll take another three years, if it takes another three years to have a really bad system like that again, then I th- I'm really worried that people will have enough time between them to just not connect them they again. They do. This, this has mm. already happened. Like you think about um, the Black Saturday bushfires mm. and just like the period in between, like that was horrific. Like, you know, people in you know, in Melbourne who had families who lived out in Kilmore, um, like, they were just changed by it. Like, you know, and like, you know, the sky going black and seeing, you know, just hundreds of thousands of hectares destroyed. And then within the space of how many how many years has it been since the Black Saturday bushfires? Like, um, nearly 10 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. nearly 10. Um, no, it's more than that. Isn't oh, it? yeah, it is. It's over a decade. Um, yeah, people have just, like... Time has gone by and people forgot how they felt at the time. And, you know, I, I think about the horror I felt in seeing, like, you know, bushfire smell and smoke on my balcony here in the city from, like, mm. you know, hundreds of thousands of kilometres away. If that doesn't happen in the next four or five years, like, on, like, a regular basis, people are going to forget. They're going to forget that trauma. So the, so one of the, the grimmest things of this report that really got to me, which I really wanted to call out, is um, – like Lang, you mentioned the the mental health costs mm. of the the bushfires that we hit. A big part of the reporting in it, and a big part of the um, the qualitative research they did, was on people's recovery, both as like at a community level and an individual level. And it was talking about how people that suffer these bushfires need hope for the future, and for the first time in a, in in pretty much ever, well. Yeah, they. This report has shown that people don't have hope for the future in terms of recovery from these fires because of climate change. Mm. Because a lot of the people who suffered the effects of this bushfire go, "Oh yeah, this is the new normal. If I stay out in the rural areas, this is just what I live with." Like blanketed black smoke choking out the sun, um, fires ravaging the doorstep, immolating thousands of hectares, killing people. Like, I don't know, that really affected me. Thinking about it now, it's really got me fucked up with just- You know why it sounds fucked up? (sighs) Yeah. It's because, like, Scott Morrison saying the new normal. Like, you think about it in that context. Like, you think about someone- the official government narrative. Yeah. The new normal. Yeah. And, and it just Adaptation. It makes it sound way more psycho. There are kind of a couple yeah. of aspects to it. And and one of them is that the, the world is changing and the climate is getting worse. And we are going to be seeing more of these things. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, we're entering this Mad Max hellscape because we still do have a lot of options. We still can prevent these things getting too much worse. We can uh, help to, uh, you know, get through them and adapt to them and deal with them um, in a lot of useful ways. Um, and looking at, at mental health in the time of climate change um, is, is a pretty... It's a pretty big and important um, field of study. Well, I don't know about big, but it's it's very important yeah. um, because climate scientists and people who work with climate change, just like people who work with things like systemic racism or all sorts of like personally traumatic uh, events, um, deal with a lot of mental health issues. Um, and one of the things that's the most damaging when you when you're dealing with something like climate change or bushfires or something is it's not necessarily the trauma of being aware of it. It's seeing everybody else not really caring. It makes you feel crazy. Um, mm. Because if you've just had your entire town destroyed by bushfires and then yeah. less than a few months later, everyone's just acting like it's fine. They've moved on to something else. The prime minister said they'd give you a bunch of money and they haven't uh, because that was just empty talk. And you go, hang on, this hasn't changed anything. Everyone's acting like this is nothing. What's to stop this happening, happening again? That is the real issue. Whereas if, if there's a big disaster and everyone comes together and they go, right, we're going to make sure this is never happening to anybody else. We're going to help you out. We're going to fix this. Then you feel supported. Um, yeah. you, you, you can move on from your trauma because you go, that was a horrible thing that happened to me, but now it was not meaningless. I'm not crazy. Everyone else acknowledges it, it was bad and we're working to fix it. Worth noting though, eh, that we, we bring up a lot on this pod is that the majority of people want action on climate mm. change. I dare say the majority of people would also be pretty badly affected by these bushfires in, at least in, ways that you aren't seeing from the government and from the media. So it is always worth putting out there, because we're a no-doomerism podcast, goddammit, <laughs> is that even when we're talking about this sort of shit, you are not alone and you are not insane. You are, you are mad, you're angry, you're frustrated. We are as well. That's why we started a fucking podcast. But the yeah. vast majority of us want to fix this and will fight with you to fix it. Do not forget that. That's the it's big thing. It's probably one of the most important things I teach people when I talk about climate change um, is that that concept of you're not alone. It's okay to be scared. We're all scared. And the most important thing we can do is talk about it because everyone cares, but there's a culture of silence. Yeah. Um, and we mm. talked about this a lot back when we first started the podcast, when the fires were happening. Probably the most important thing you can do about climate change is talk about it. Keep that conversation going because... Everybody, and, and there's been studies done, okay, not everybody, but the vast majority of people are actively concerned, anxious, really wanting to do things, really wanting the government to do things, and would actively make sacrifices for us to move forward on climate change and, and the environment and disasters like this. Um, it's just a very, very small group of people who are instituting this top-down culture of silence and culture of not doing fucking anything about it. Um, that are the problem. Uh, when you think about individual like actions, like when you know people are wanting to do something about it, you can see that in people wanting to do like individual, mm, absolutely individuals, um, multiple use items, um, no waste. Mm. You know, people want to do their own, want to do their part. Um, 
People are desperate to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. you know, talking to people helps them also understand that it's not just about your individual action. It's also calling and trying to pressure uh, larger action from larger polluters mm. as well. Like they need to also, in knowing that you're not alone, you also need to feel that you're not personally culpable for it either. Exactly. Well, you're not. Because the whole you are alone, it's up to you, fix your thing is, it's the same line that gets pushed in regards to Centrelink. They say it's not Centrelink that's the problem. It's you. You need to save money. You need to work harder. You need to yeah. get a job. And it's alienating. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like uh, in closing, there's this really fucked article that came out of Brazil uh, last week as well, which is just this uh, environment minister called for environment deregulation while the press is distracted by COVID. Like he, he just mm. said it out loud. Just that the was, most. That was the fucking yeah. crusty the clown ass <laughs> joke. <laughs> Like it's just not a hot he, mic or anything. He's just like, yeah, hey, while they're looking the other way, let's make sure that we uh, slash all the environmental red tape, which is what mm. the coalition loves to say. Oh, there's a lot of red tape. It's like, yeah, so that we don't ruin the environment. Anyway, just th- this is exactly what's happening all over the world is governments uh, trying to slash environmental legislation so that they can get away with stuff. The coronavirus pandemic has a, a pretty good provides a pretty good cover for doing that. And we've that. been talking so, about it. Like the the you see the yeah like Victorian government approving um, new gas exploration, mm, yeah. all kinds of like you know uh, coal seam mining under the the basin of the Kaditunda uh, well, basin. Um, the, all this stuff is going. Rio on Tinto blowing well. we up a have- historical site. <laughs> We just don't have people saying verbatim, let's do this while the press is looking the other way. Yeah. Uh, maybe because in Australia, the press is already looking the other way even <laughs> when there's not a pandemic, but yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, Brazil is pretty much as fascist as America and as corrupt as Australia. They're just a bit looser about it from what I can tell. <laughs> um, oh, I, I remembered. And, and That's maybe the culture we... of transparency that I wish Australia <laughs> would preserve. Yeah, just open fascism. <laughs> um, I... This And this might be a little bit of a rant, but this is a thing that I, I think about a bit, which is that whenever you have one of these big disasters like the bushfire, like friggin' the riots in America right now, or a school shooting or something, there is this little window where where the system is a little bit off balance. Everyone goes, holy shit, this is fucked. We've got to do something about it. But that window has to be seized. If you don't seize that window, like with America and school shootings, if you don't make those changes while everyone's going, holy shit, this is fucked, that window will close again. The system will recalibrate. Everyone will get used to it. They'll go, oh, I guess this is just the way things are. And you'll miss that moment until the next thing comes along. Um, and right now in America, there's no school shooting they could have that's bad enough to upset the system, yeah. um, which is really, really unfortunate. They've got to wait for something else to happen now to fix their gun problems. We're not going to have a bushfire like that again for a very long time. Um, the next climate change related catastrophe that comes along will probably be something even worse, like a, a heat wave or a drought that will really kill a lot of people. Um, and we have to take these opportunities wherever we can to bloody change things to be better. Because if they keep getting worse, the opportunities are going to get more and more difficult to seize and the disasters are going to get worse and worse. Um, and yeah, like and if you just, plane, it- just, 
Yeah, we just need to also keep in mind, like as is like shown in Brazil and in the Dan Andrews government, Mm. is that those opportunities run both ways. When when an opportunity presents itself, it can go one of two ways. It's not just an opportunity to do good. There are people like Dutton, Mm -hmm. like Dan Andrews, like Bolsonaro, like Trump, who are looking at it going, oh, we could also consolidate power now, which is why you need to be active. Yeah, it's not enough to just sort of go, oh, that'd be pretty good. I hope someone else does something. Do what you can when Mm. you can. Because like Lang said, sometimes that window closes for a very long time. What does that mean, though? Like, what does doing what you can mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky thing. Because I don't know how to fight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, even things like doing a podcast, uh, depending, I mean, obviously podcasts aren't the end to it but it, it's joining protests it's it's rioting like they're doing in america it's calling people to account it's keeping getting people angry getting people talking about it i uh if yeah, everyone's so talking, talking about to it, if everyone's aware of it, if you can if you can build that to a level where there's that level of outrage um here and there are people who can do things about it but they might only do that if there is enough outrage i, I think it's it's also why I get really annoyed at people who make jokes about, oh, please, no more podcasts during the coronavirus. <laughs> uh, it, like, I have learnt so much from other people, from my friends, um, even just reading for this podcast and being able to yeah. talk about it with you guys, I think has made me more politically engaged. And I know it's like an old joke um, and people don't want to hear podcasts from, like, you know, just some randoms sometimes, but – like it's 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 the way we do things now it's the way we communicate to other people information um in when we're not mm. getting it from other sources like you know if there's if there's no local media if there's no you know if mm. the if the mainstream press is not covering it in a way that is right or is necessarily looking at it from an angle that is justifiable what's left so one thing I'll I want to put on this, like specifically addressing McLean's sort of question, because it mm. does it can really easily seem too overwhelming, and that you're too sort of useless and impotent in the face of these big things. But one thing that you can do is get people prepared to seize these moments. So if you're in a position um, during the good times to be joining a union, getting involved with that, calling your local member about different things, it lets them know that if they have an opportunity, that they have the support to seize it. That's a big thing. So the work that's always done on marriage equality, about uh, reversing robo-debt, all of that sort of stuff, that's done by people constantly chipping away at it, that when Mm. it builds to a fever pitch enough of the good people can go, oh, we've got the support for that because, and the proof of this is that while times are good, the opposition to this, literally our opponents in this, are trying to not only bolster their position, but they're trying to weaken ours, to, to speak broadly. They are always trying to um, undermine the, the usefulness of unions. They are always trying to make sure poor people can't organise properly or get what's theirs. They know that if they keep people worried, um, disparate, if they keep um, individual workers in the dark about their own conditions then there's no solidarity to come up off out of out of it. And so I think that's a big thing, like for McLean's thing is like, yeah, it, it is hugely big and complicated and, and vast and overwhelming, but always keep up that little bit of work so that the people who are actually in power, like a like something like Bill Shorten, maybe next time will feel like he can run on a platform of reversing RoboDebt before the election instead of after it. Or even better, that he feels like he doesn't have a choice. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's the one. I guess it's also like... It, it, 
don't wait for a organization that you can join mm. to to do it. Just like you can talk with your friends and just be like, you know, uh, just become the annoying political person <laughs> and turn your friends into the annoying political person as well. Because if everyone's annoying and political, that's just like a new good baseline. Yeah. If, if everyone's just like, oh, well, what am I to talk up about it? Like, you're you. Yeah. That's what the people running <laughs> politics want. They want people not talking about it like they do on silent, you know, breakfast TV. They don't talk about it. Everyone goes, oh, I guess it's not our business. That's the thing that sort of motivates me. To, to do like the, 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 any political action that I have done, it, it, you know, climate, socialism, it, any of that stuff is, is purely motivated by me looking at the world and being like, uh, I like, I, you know, I have anxiety. I, <laughs> I don't like going out. I don't like spending effort on things, but I don't want to be the guy that didn't do anything. What mm. motivates me is like the, the bystander that listens to what you're saying. Mm. Like I used to think yeah. about it on Facebook a lot when I used to be the annoying political person and talking about stuff that people used to get into fights with in the comments, um, is <laughs> that like sometimes it's worth engaging because the person who's reading this fight may mm-hmm. not want to say something or not get involved, but they can be swayed by your point of view. So sometimes, you never yeah, exactly. Know, yeah. Sometimes it's important to have those discussions. Mind you, there's still like people in like my wider friend circles who I will absolutely never engage with on political conversations because they're so wildly incoherent, and and they have specific <laughs> beliefs that won't be persuaded, um, that aren't influenced by changes in political views or anything like that. So it's just like, well, I'm not going to push that point. But know your battles and fight them. I think. Hmm. I guess there's the thing of like if you if you imagine yourself just having a conversation with a group of people at a party and you're going on some like political rant, right? And if you imagine that everybody else in the circle is like pretty quiet and still, that's a tough rant to go on. You're gonna be like, oh look, whatever. Hmm. But if there's one person in that circle who's just nodding, you're going to finish the whole rant because she's like, fucking, this guy's got my back. So, like, <laughs> well, go it's, on it's your also- rants, but also nod. Like, you know, when you see other friends going on political rants or, or, or that sort of thing, like, just jazz each other up. That's yeah. uh, that's what this podcast is mostly, is just us <laughs> maybe don't, just maybe don't. nodding at each other. <laughs> over, <laughs> maybe don't aim Discord. for a rant, but, uh, yeah. Like, uh, oh, yeah, have, I use rant very there. But, like, be the annoying political person, but also internalize that that's a good place to be and you shouldn't be apologizing for it. It's like I I had a little uh, debate with someone on Twitter uh, maybe a a couple of months ago about, it was about, you know, friggin' how much does does my plane trip really affect the environment versus, you know, what are the other things? And um, it was just a back and forth. We were were both, you know, pretty polite and nice about it. he went off and thought about, and then he, it turned out he was some guy who has like a newsletter and he wrote about it in his newsletter all about, oh, this is some stuff about systemic actions on climate change. And that conversation that we had, which I thought was just some random guy on the internet, went out to a whole bunch of other people. And then they wrote letters about it back to him. And then it started a whole lot of conversations. And so, you, yeah, you never really know. Hopefully this podcast is reaching someone who reaches someone who reaches someone who punches uh, Stuart Robert in the face. <laughs> <laughs> <Fucking hell>. <laughs> <laughs> Actions this week. Argue with your friends. No. Um, talk about talk more about the issues that you're worried about. Um, mm. Recognise that you are worried and know that other people are worried too 
and talk with more people. We've said this before on the podcast. Start a group chat with people that you think might... In, like start a group chat with people at your workplace who you think might want to be unionized. Start a group chat with some of your friends who you think actually might be more into climate change science than than they let on. Just be proactive in starting small conversations because that's literally yeah. how all this stuff Mate, reaches fever I think pitch. In terms of attending protests and that sort of thing, obviously maybe not while there's a pandemic, but um, organizing with your friends just. Mm figuring out who in your friendship circle is a protest buddy and yes. just organizing to go to protest with them. There's, there's nothing more valuable in terms of personally attending a protest than going with someone. You'll have a lot more energy. You'll be way more likely to actually go. It's one more person at the protest, which is always nice. But yeah, like having, having a, a known list of protest buddies is, is incredibly valuable and you want to have that in place before you, uh, you know, are getting on the tram. Yeah, it keeps you safe as well. It keeps you safe as well. It's yes, very important. Absolutely. <laughs> um, like, you know, you don't, like, especially political protests and, you know, over-policing, you never know which way things are going to go. It's always important to have people who have your back. So it's not just like about, you know, the solidarity of someone who understands you and, you know, will will stand next to you as you say something, like what you believe. It's also knowing that that person's going to look after you if things were to turn south or, you know, um, if you need help. And if there are any tricky conversations that you get into or things that you do want to know more about or things that we've said that I mean, that that have particularly resonated with you, tell us about it. Um, I'm not usually one that, to, like, push for engagement. I don't believe that pushing for engagement is a real thing. <laughs> but... <laughs> if, uh, the if numbers it, it works it's really yeah. sad but <laughs> like comment if, and subscribe everybody it's <laughs> yeah if there's some shit that we've talked about where you're like oh wow i want to hear more about that please let us know and if there's some shit that we've talked about where you're like i don't know that's pretty dull and lame let us know and we might ignore you but <laughs> oh if enough people don't <laughs> like hearing it yeah, who knows the cycle <laughs> get rid of mitch he, he's oh he's laugh it's really annoying <laughs> <laughs> Um, another really good action is uh, just in the uh, spirit of uh, National Sorry Week uh, is pay the rent. Uh, go to paytherent.net.au and you can set up a monthly contribution that uh, gets distributed to uh, various different uh, Aboriginal groups and people in Victoria and around Australia um, that, yeah, you just uh, just uh, throw money at them. If you've got money, throw it in mm. that direction uh every every week but also specifically this week and also i normally wouldn't set homework but i think like a really <laughs> important thing especially this week um uh, for sorry day and just in the wider context of what's happening in the world right now with you know the u.s being destroyed um as we speak um is go and read about uh the guardian's coverage particularly on destiny custody I think it's really important mm -hmm. to know that history and as like, you know, horrifying as it is to even look at the numbers, it's really important to even just know that history and be able to talk to people about it as just something that's unspeakable. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. Uh, we would really like to hear from you what you like, dislike, want more of. Um, you can get us on the socials at notgoodpod or email us notgoodpod at protonmail.com smell and smoke on my balcony here in the city from like you know hundreds of thousands of kilometers away hold on a second the hundreds of thousands of kilometers away yeah not not that far but <laughs> that's, hundreds that's much too far. <laughs> though to be fair people hundreds of thousands of kilometers away did see the smoke yeah, from australia yeah.
Yeah. Which, which, hold on. Like, how big do you think Earth is? I'm talking about the Martians that are hoarding all that iron ore. <laughs> Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging, and knowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.